Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea Studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Happy Wednesday. This week is just rolling along so quickly, I feel like. And I guess happy late Valentine's Day, too. I hope you got some chocolate to enjoy yesterday, in addition to all of the hockey that was on TV on Tuesday night. Now, the Ducks are celebrating Superhero Night tonight when they host the Buffalo Sabres for a 7 p.m. puck drop. And the Trevor Zegras action figure will finally be given away to the first 10,000 fans. I've talked about it already this week, but if you can get one of them, it's pretty cool. A reenactment from the alley-oop goal against the Sabres last year. That's what the action figure is. So pretty fitting that we're giving it away for this game in particular. Now tonight, starting in the net will be Lukas Dostal as he continues to stay up with the Ducks this week. He's had a lot of success down with the San Diego Gulls this season and in the American League as well. So it's great to see him continue to get this opportunity. A 9-12 save percentage with the Gulls this season as well as a 2.97 goals against average and he was also, as I've mentioned recently, the co-MVP at the American League All-Star Classic. So happy for Dostal to continue, like I said, to get these opportunities and get more experience at the NHL level. With the Sabres in town tonight, they have a very strong power play. They're ranked fifth in the NHL right now at 25.3%. Now, the Ducks have done well on the penalty kill recently, something I've talked about time and time again. But they have struggled defensively in the five-on-five play. So something that I hope to see some strides made in tonight, getting the puck out of the zone quicker. Our exits out of the zone need to be improved. And that's something that the team knows, especially against this highly skilled Sabres team. They have a lot of young players. And they've been in this process of this rebuild that they're working towards. It's something that I talked about a little bit with today's guest that I will get to in a bit. Now, the Ducks are also 6-4-1 in their last 10 games, but only two of those have been home at Honda Center. So good that the Ducks are getting some more road experience and some road wins as well. The team is going to close out this week, though, in Anaheim with another rendition of the Freeway Faceoff, hosting the LA Kings at Honda Center on Friday night. It is an early 6 o'clock puck drop, and the game is going to be on ESPN, so a national game, which is great to see the two California teams battling it off on the national stage. Let's get to today's coast to coast with some of the best goal calls from around the NHL, starting with the Carolina Hurricanes and Washington Capitals. A preview of what we're going to see in Saturday's stadium series. It was a 3-2 win for the Hurricanes in D.C. on Tuesday night. Now, the Capitals were without their captain, Alex Ovechkin, who is taking some time away from hockey following the passing of his father, Mikhail Ovechkin. But it was a really strong push from the Capitals in the third period with Frederick Anderson making 13 of the 34 saves he had in the game in the third period alone. But ultimately, Kane's Stefan Nason netted a power play goal, sticking it down well in front of the net. And that would also be the game winner about halfway through the third period. Listen to the call of the goal from Carolina's Mike Maniscalco. Bouncing puck. We'll find Tara Vinen. Nason back to Tara Vinen, so the Canes get a chance to set up. Pressured by Eller. And a shot, they'll score on the power play! Shea got it through and deflected by Carolina 
Tyson with the stick out in front. Now a buzzer beater was what helped the New Jersey Devils win 3-2 with just 1.4 seconds remaining at Nationwide Arena against the Columbus Blue Jackets on Tuesday night. An intercepted play resulted in Andre Pilat working in a two-on-two before finding Michael McLeod and then Ryan Graves, who tapped the puck in for his sixth goal of the season. And it was an important one on that. The Devils are now 7-1-2 and in their last 10 games and have an impressive 75 points to date this season. Matt Laughlin has the call of the goal from Devils Hockey Network. Now Marchenko with 14 to go, races across the line, his pass picked off by Boquist, banks it up ahead for Pallott, time still for the Devils, here's Pallott, now to McLeod, moves in, cuts to his right in deep centers, and they score! Ryan Graves scores with 1.4 showing on the clock! (laughs) Last up in today's Coast to Coast, the Boston Bruins had to fight against a very competitive Western Conference team and the Dallas Stars on Tuesday night at the American Airlines Center, ultimately coming up with the 3-2 win, though. And that seemed to be the trending score on Tuesday, especially through all these goal calls. They're all 3-2 wins. But this was a back-and-forth game, but Pavel Zaka tied it up in the third period for Boston to force the eventual overtime. And who else but, well... David Pasternak netted the overtime winner with just one minute and 16 seconds remaining. The win gave Boston their 40th of the season, and they've done it in just 53 games played. And it was also head coach Jim Montgomery's 100th career win. Hear the call of the winning goal from Judd Surratt. Center circle, over the line right side. Drops for Pasternak, left it at the right point. McAvoy right circle. Centers, Pasternak, he scores! David Pasternak with a one-timer. He went down to a knee to bury it just inside the near post. The Bruins cascade off the bench to celebrate. They're going to two-step out of Texas with two points. Your final in overtime. Bruins three, stars two. Welcome back to Dallas. The Boston Bruins rally for a 3-2 overtime victory over the Stars, and we're joined downstairs by Bruins defenseman Charlie McAvoy, who set up the game winner. Charlie, take us through that whole play. Oh, man, uh, really, really quick, just hopped off the bench, and uh, Pasta was coming up the wall. Did a great job to kick that and then go right to his office right there. So, you know, I knew I was trying to wait for the play to evolve a little bit, and, oh, man, that's a help of finish. You know, yeah. off his front foot, they're falling down, so... Uh, Charlie, um, you guys dominate the first, certainly the first period and the third period. And a couple of huge parts of this game were the five-on-three penalty kill in the second, and obviously the four-on-three here in overtime. Just talk about you know whether it was Linus or the defense and uh, and you know the the penalty killers and how they got the job done. Yeah, I mean, it's all uh, hats off to the penalty kill, and Linus is you know probably the biggest part of that. Um, five-on-three, a couple five-on-fours, four-on-three there in overtime, just. Just un- unreal. It all starts with him. He makes big saves, and then there's big blocks. Forby Brando, you know, all the guys up front. And it's just a team win. This one feels really good. I'm excited to welcome on Jeff Merrick for today's interview. Really enjoyed this conversation from the national perspective with him. And Jeff and I talked through a number of teams status to this point in the season, including his fondness for Ducks Mason McTavish. Listen in in this next segment.
Welcome on to Light the Lamp Now, Sportsnet's Jeff Merrick. Jeff, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. Get to talk to you and to a whole new audience as well. I'm very much looking forward to boring your audience as I bore mine on a regular basis here just outside of Toronto. How are you today, Alexis? I'm good. You know, it's a game day for us here at the Ducks, so a little bit busier than normal. We're playing the Sabres tonight. They're good. Um, They're good. They're a little bit higher on the curve. Uh, than Anaheim right now, but you know, it's it, see Anaheim and Buffalo is a really interesting matchup to me because I kind of see Buffalo being a couple of steps ahead of the Buffalo's uh, at the, uh, Buffalo being a couple of steps ahead of the Anaheim Ducks. But when you sort of start to map out what Anaheim has on the horizon and what they're looking at, they're I mean, it looks like they're far away, but the direction of the team, you know, build this thing right down the middle. I don't know. I've been build it out of the net as well. It kind of looks like they're more similar than different, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting you say that because that was kind of something I wanted to touch on with the Sabres. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've locked up their young guys and they have a lot of cap yeah. space this season in particular. Do you think that they they're going to utilize that as they push for the playoffs potentially? It's a, it's a great question. So we're all sort of wondering here, which teams are going to be the third parties in, in, in a lot of these trades. And normally, you know, Arizona tends to be the one that will retain in order to pick up an asset. I'm not so sure that Arizona is going to be that team this time around. I'm not sure that they're too interested in taking on any extra money considering uh, their financial situation right now. I think we wonder about the Vancouver Canucks. Um, they have cap space and the ability to do that. They're not going to you know, waste anything on trying to improve this team for this season. Buffalo is intriguing because Buffalo can go one of two ways here. Um, Kevin Adams has always maintained that he's not going to hit fast forward on the tape deck. And oh, I know it's a very dated reference, Alexis, of on um, tape deck. I <laughs> hip it up a little bit, Merrick. So he's not going to try to speed up this rebuild. You know, I said it properly. There he's not going to speed up the rebuild. So I don't know if he's going to want to make any sort of monster moves to help the team uh, get into the playoffs or have a lengthy run. So you might look at it and say, listen, if you're the Buffalo Sabres, just play out and and see what happens here. So I think the ability for them to do that is clearly there uh, to retain on salary. But there's something in the back of my head that still thinks that if you're Kevin Adams and you're looking at this team and you have Tage Thompson, who in any other season, you know, would probably get significant heart trophy consideration. Connor's already won this thing Mm -hmm. in Edmonton. He'd get significant. And, you know, Rasmus Dahlin's going to be in the conversation for the Norris. I think Uka Pekka Lukanen, although he's not going to win it, he'll be in the conversation for the Calder as well. Like they've been a lot of, uh, we've seen, you know, Jeff Skinner has had this amazing resurgence. I think the whole thing hinges around Alex Tuck Mm -hmm. and his performance. Every time I see Tage Thompson score, every time I, see him piling up the points i say to myself like i hope that this guy's you know sending alex tuck christmas cards because the whole thing revolves around this guy um i can't help but thinking that if i'm kevin adams this team has arrived at a place that they thought they were going to get to a year from now Hmm. or maybe two years from now so i wonder alexis if kevin adams the gm says i owe this team something Like every now and then your team will exceed expectations, outperform based on expectations. And the GM kind of has a responsibility to help the team. I mean, we've seen the opposite happen. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just outside of the Toronto area. And a few years ago when the Toronto Maple Leafs lost a game against the Carolina Hurricanes, 
when the e-bug came in, which was, you know, uh, you know, one of the Zamboni drivers for the Maple Leafs, you know, when they lost that game on that Saturday night, there were a bunch of deals that Kyle Dubas had on the table. Mm -hmm. Um, They were going to bring in a bunch of players. And he decided after that game, that the team, this right around trade deadline, didn't deserve a trade. And so trades didn't happen. They didn't deserve that help. Kevin Adams is in the opposite situation here right now. And listen, if you're, if you're Buffalo, you become maybe the only legitimate, and I can hear Islanders fans complaining already, team that could, you know, knock the balls around here and maybe sneak into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, the, 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 the schedule looks very favorable for the Buffalo Sabres. Mm-hmm. All the teams around the Buffalo Sabres lost last night. It was a great day for the Buffalo Sabres. Everybody, the Islanders are losing, and now they've lost three in a row, and the Washington Capitals are like Everyone around them is losing right now. I just can't help but think in the back of my mind, yeah, they could weaponize the cap space a little bit, Alexis. But then part of me says, I wonder if Kevin Adams says, you know what? You need something, a shot in the arm, a thank you from the general manager, a thank you from the owner who might be looking at playoff dates here. And maybe they go the opposite direction. They just say, you know what? We are going to get some help at playoffs. Maybe it's not the big Jacob Chikrin deal. Mm-hmm. You know, he has scotch a bunch of resources and everything. But I don't know if I'd be too surprised if if Buffalo ends up trying to help themselves here. You mentioned the Islanders already as well, too. Big acquisition yeah. for them. Do you think that they have enough to make a push? Boy. After, you know what? You know what the answer to that is, Alexis? It's a great question. I think the answer to that is it depends what time of the day and what day you ask me. Because sometimes <laughs> okay. I look at the Islanders and I say, yeah, you know what? Mm-hmm. This team can do it. And then you look at what's happened most recently. You look at this part of the schedule and you say to yourself, you know, they've got three, with all due respect, guys, easy teams here to beat. And this should be an easy six points. Next thing you know, you just lost to the Vancouver Canucks. You've lost to the Montreal Canadiens. And now you've lost to the Ottawa Senators. Where did our easy six points go? Here's the thing that I think about the Islanders. I think that there are two types of teams you have to have in the NHL right now. I think you have to have a regular season team, and that's different than a playoff team. Mm. And you see this play itself out yearly with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I look at the Islanders, Alexis, and I say, it's teams like that that go deep in the playoffs. It's Mm. veteran teams. It's, you know, battle-tested, all that kind of stuff. Great goaltending, obviously. Um, A couple of centers, like strength down the middle, a really good blue line as well. Um, It's teams like that that tend to be a little bit more veteran, that do well in the postseason, the problem for the Islanders is you got to get there. Mm-hmm. Like they seem like really well built for the playoffs. The problem is they just can't seem to get in this year and they couldn't last year. But the last two times we did see them get in, I mean, they went to the, they went to the conference finals. Um, it's a good playoff team. I don't know that they're a great regular season team. And doesn't that have to be one of the most frustrating things mm-hmm. in the world? Absolutely. Knowing that when you when you finally <laughs> get there, Alexis, you're going to do well. Promise you can't get there. Mm-hmm. It's got to be so frustrating. So frustrating. So do I think that they have enough? Doesn't look like it in the regular season, which is too bad because, you know, that power play has really killed them and they really want to address that. And that's one of the reasons why they brought in Bo Horvat, who's mm-hmm. one of the best uh, in the penalty kill and one of the best of the face-off thought as well. I want them to do well because I love their fan base. Mm-hmm. Just not so sure there's any there there this time around. Very passionate fans that I found too, which has surprised me a little bit. Uh, they're, <laughs> I always say this about Islanders fans. Man, they got spoiled. So if you're an <laughs> Islanders fan, this is why I think that Bill Torrey is the greatest general manager of all time. 
you went from like you went from this a blank sheet of paper on Bill Tory's desk to a dynasty. Hmm. Okay, not just like a championship, but like a dynasty, like four Stanley Cups in a row. One of the best teams we've ever seen. Maybe my favorite team, you know, in my entire life. I loved watching that team. That team could play any way you wanted. You want to play a fast game? We got it. You want to play a grind them out, mm -hmm. two to one game? We got that. You want six to five? Sure. You want a four hour brawl game? We can do that too. Hudson Bay rules, whatever. We can play that game and we can beat you at it. Everybody did something different and they had superstars and Hall of Famers. Ed, 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 ed. It was such a fun team to watch. Islanders fans got spoiled by that. And you tend to think that, you know, the party's always going to last. We've all been to a bar, we've all been to a restaurant and having a good time. And then there's a part of the evening where the lights come on and the <laughs> liquor goes away and someone brings you a bill. <laughs> it's time to go home. It was uh, no one felt bad for the Islanders because they had those those great runs. But Islanders fans, man, were they ever spoiled by one of the, the, the greatest teams the NHL has ever seen. But yes, their fans are passionate and creative, as you see, like uh, when players like John Tavares returns uh, to Long Island, how they treat them. Mm -hmm. It's um, it is a passionate and very enrageable. Let's say that very enrageable fan base as well. Well, you've covered the Toronto Maple Leafs for a long time throughout your career. Yeah. And obviously, postseason comes around. The same topic every year is, are they yep. going to win a playoff round and a playoff series? And this yep. year, I'm curious to know where you think they stand on that end. I think they're better. Like, I really do. Like, I've always been of the belief, Alexis, that this team is going to go as far as their core takes them. That no matter what the general manager does at trade deadline, bringing in new players, picking around the edges, depth defensemen, whatever, like they're really, like, don't you get the feeling that they're going to come and go based on Austin Matthews and John Tavares and Mitch Marner and William Nylander and Morgan Riley and whoever the starting goaltender is going to be, you know, be it Elias Samsonov or, uh, or, or Matt Murray, like they're going to go as far as that, like they're hunting big, mm -hmm. okay? like make no mistake about it. Kyle Dubas, general manager of the Maple Leafs, is trying to downplay everything right now. But I would not be surprised if at the end of the Timo Meyer sweepstakes that he, he becomes a Maple Leaf. I know New Jersey's hunting and Carolina's hunting, and there's always that surprise team out there that pops out of nowhere. And boom, whoa, we didn't see Timo Meyer going there. But mm -hmm. uh, it appears I have a feeling that Timo Meyer has exactly what the Maple Leafs don't have. Mm. Like they have a lot of skill and they want to play fast. Are they big enough, strong enough, heavy enough to play and get deep into the playoffs? Like Tampa may be the best example. We don't spend enough because we talk so much about Tampa's skill, Alexis. We don't mm. talk enough about how just plain nasty they are. And it's like they, they got a pretty dirty team. Mm. Like, we're, oh, look at the marvelous skill and Kucherov and Stamco. So it's so beautiful. They're nasty, like they're tough to play against and they're brutal and they're vicious and all of it. And it's beautiful. I don't think the Maple Leafs have that yet. I think they know it. I think Dubas knows it. And I think that will probably be the uh, the fish. And I discovered, by the way, on the podcast last week, that sharks are indeed fish. We had a big debate about this. Oh. Um, it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if, uh, if they end up with Timo Meyer at the end. But there still needs to be a little bit of work done here for the Maple Leafs. But they're going to go as far as the court takes them. They, well, they really are. That's always how, how I felt about the Maple Leafs. 
Sharks have gills. So, right? They have gills. So that would make them a fish. <laughs> There's a whole list of criteria. I can pull it up right now because Elliot and I on the podcast went through it, like live on the podcast. Like, when, <laughs> trust me, when I said bore your audience to start, these are the types of things that I do, these little types of gimmicks and tricks to, to bore your audience. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about the ducks instead now down here, do obviously on duck stream, uh, yep. you, you know, they have some cap space as well. Do you see them being creative maybe in potential deals that they could make with the trade deadline and into the rest of the season, obviously in the mm -hmm. midst of this rebuild about where we expected them to be this year? Well, first of all, um, Anaheim has become Fort Knox for information. Like, Pat Verbeek is the new Steve Eisman, who's the new Lou Lamorello. Like, there is no information, like, getting out. Like, listen, it's okay. I get it. I, I understand it. It's it's fine. Um, but Pat Verbeek isn't picking up his phone to tell me what he's thinking. Mm. But um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Like, I think this is a team that is in position to do things really creatively. Um, I think eyes on the prize here is that guy playing with the Regina Pats in the Western Hockey League right now. And wouldn't he look fantastic uh, in a Ducks uniform? Um, I think this is a team that, like, as I mentioned off the top, like, I know you might look at them in the standings right now. But when you look at the quality of young athlete that this team has, when Jamie Drysdale gets uh, gets all healed up and back in the lineup, like all of a sudden you can start to see and know how good this team is going to be on the horizon and one person that i was trying to go out of my way to mention is lucas dostal mm. who i think is going to be a fantastic netminder for a long time in the nhl like all the pieces seem to be there problem is they're all young and they just need time right right um as far as far as trade deadline goes this year like they're in the position whether it's with shattenkirk whether it's with, uh, with uh, John Klingberg, maybe even someone like Adam Enrique, like they are in position here to do something and and move this program along, um, and they can retain. Like that's mm -hmm. that's always the um, that's always one of the delicate delicate questions between the general manager and the owner. Hey, here's what I'd like to do. I want to take on some empty calorie money of your money, by the way take on some empty calorie money here to try to advance the program. You're not going to see any benefit of it right away, but it's an investment for down the road. So could they? Absolutely. Will they? Not sure. We haven't seen them really behave like that um, before, but I, I got a real soft spot in my heart for the Ducks. Mm. Like I really do. Um, and a lot of it is because I really like, like I don't cheer for teams, Alexis. I cheer for people mm. and I cheer for players. And there are a lot of players that I really like. I have all the time in the world for Jamie Drysdale. <laughs> all we were talking before I came on about Jamie Drysdale's mom. Yeah. I know she was like the greatest youth hockey manager uh, a team could ever want. And, you know, when he got drafted uh, into the OHL, like I, I felt horrible for it because she didn't have a team to manage. <laughs> um, and I'll tell you what, man, you, you know this better than I do. Mason McTavish is special. Mm -hmm. Mason McTavish is the kind of player you win championships with period he's the 24 7 guy he's all hockey all the time he doesn't have an off switch all he is consumed by is getting better and better and better and you know one day down the road one day down the road much like mike babcock had i know i'm gonna draw some really big names out here and it's going to sound weird, but watch me go. Okay. You know, once upon a time, Mike Babcock had the luxury of tapping Henrik Zetterberg and Pavel Datsuk on the shoulder. And he could do that any time of the game because 
when your best offensive players are also your best defensive players, mm -hmm. it's impossible to lose line matchup. You have that with Mason McTavish. He's a coach's dream. He, there's never a moment where Dallas Akins will say, uh, I'm not sure about putting McTavish out there because I'm not sure what he's going to do. Like this guy is so responsible and so skilled and can play in every single situation. I know it was a tough pill for Ducks fans to see Ryan Getzlaff retire. I get it. I love Getzlaff too. Mm -hmm. But this is a team that's going to transition from the Getzlaff leadership to one day Mason McTavish leadership. That's how highly I think of this guy. I think he's going to be a stud and a star for a number of years. That's that's like the, the kind of guy that I get behind all day long. He's been really interesting to watch this season in terms of his growth off the ice as well, too. Just an extremely competitive guy and always the first one mm. on the ice and always the last one off the ice, especially even this morning in morning skate. That was the case as well. Um, but yeah. I, I think he's really growing this season and learning a lot from some of these guys that are on the team. He's a sponge. Mm -hmm. Like I talked to um, Steve Steos, who's now working with the Edmonton Oilers. But, uh, you know, Steve was a guy that traded was one of the was the GM and, and co-owner of the Hamilton uh, Bulldogs of the OHL, who won the OHL championship last year. I was talking to him about um, about McTavish in the summer. And he said, you know, I made the trade for him and he billeted at my house. And he was like every single day he would come home have dinner, shots out in the backyard, shoot, 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 shoot. <laughs> but when the NHL games started, he'd sit on the couch and watch hockey games with me and just pick my brain. Like mm -hmm. Steve Steos, like played in the NHL for however many years. And he would just sit there and, and just, and just pick his brain about playing in the NHL and just mm -hmm. pick his brain about hockey in general. And it's like, he was just obsessed with it. Like a lot of guys, and you know, this, like some of them watch hockey, some of them watch a little bit, some watch, yeah, I'm gonna watch it, but you kind of want to tune it out sometimes because it's also their job now. Right. This is this is the guy that when his team is out of the playoffs, still watches the rest of the playoffs. Mark Shafley's like this in Winnipeg. The guy who's completely obsessed about hockey and builds his day around either playing or watching hockey. That's Mason McTavish. Another team I want to touch on, the Edmonton Oilers right now. Uh, sure. With the way their season is playing out, do you think that they are a full enough team in this year's postseason mm. necessarily? I mean, it seems like they might have some areas that they need to address. They do. They need one left-hand left -hand shot D. Um, and depending on who you talk to, some may say they need help in net, but I, I kind of think they're okay. Jack Campbell started to come around and, and Stuart Skinner's had a, had a decent season for them. I'm really curious to see what they do come trade deadline time. I, I still can't help but thinking they might need one more forward. Like I look at Edmonton and I say one forward and one D and then I'm happy mm. and then I'm content. But then I also say, well, you got two, you know, you got two, you know, uh, two Ferraris in the driveway here in <laughs> Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes like, like Alexis, like how juicy was all that talk on the weekend about Eric Carlson, mm -hmm. right? Very. Like you have some like Eric Carlson who can get the puck to Connor McDavid in the neutral zone. Yeah. So he can cheat in the defensive zone. Hello, Daryl for Leon Dreisaitl. Like, 
I, I'm fascinated by Edmonton for a few reasons. One, because of a potential dynamic if they could ever get Carlson. I still don't think it happens, but it's it's fun to dream. Um, I'm I'm endlessly fascinated with the Edmonton Oilers because I don't know that I've ever met a more driven hockey player than Connor McDavid, mm-hmm. and I'm really curious to see now that they've had now they went through what they went through last year with Colorado and this year now the Western Conference. If you're of the belief, and I'm one of them who believes that Colorado has taken a step back and the West is now wide open. Mm-hmm. Why not Edmonton? And I want to see Connor and Leon go right to the Stanley cup final here. I think that would be one of the most entertaining, however, whoever they play in the final, one of the most entertaining finals we may have ever seen just because of the presence of McDavid and Dreisaitl. I feel like that's something that they deserve, honestly, too. And do, hockey eh? fans deserve to see it. I'll, I'm with you on that one. Like I, I, I'm firmly of the belief that you know, no, no matter what you can, uh, no matter what it takes, you have to get your stars in the biggest games. Mm-hmm. And you know, Connor McDavid, um, all through junior hockey with the Erie Otters, never won an OHL championship. Mason Tavish did, but Connor McDavid never did. He never went to a Memorial Cup. He never did. Um, and here we are, how many years into his career now? And he's come close. Um, you know, until Anaheim scotched him. And the Edmonton Oilers, uh, he's come close to getting there, but he hasn't been there yet. And I am really firmly of the belief that the NHL is at its best when its biggest stars are in the biggest games. And Connor McDavid is the biggest star in the game right now. The stadium series will be taking place on Saturday. The Washington Capitals and Carolina Hurricanes. Now, we already saw them yep. play on Tuesday night. The Canes getting yep. that win. And we're not sure. It sounds like Ovechkin might not be playing on Saturday. Uh, but yep. what do you think of the NHL outdoor games in general? I love them. I don't I don't love them so much as a – let me qualify that, Alexis. I love them for the local crowd. Mm. Okay? Like, as far as being a TV event, I don't want to say it's played out, but it, it kind of is. We've, we've, we've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go to these things. I most recently went to, to Fenway for the, for the Boston-Pittsburgh game. You go to these things and you see what a charge it means for the people that go and what a spectacle it is for the crowd that is there. I get that sometimes it doesn't translate on television. Like maybe the most memorable one was the first one, Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Right. Right. The, the snow globe game, right, <laughs> where they're pushing pucks and pushing snow at the same time. It was time. amazing. It looked beautiful. Mm. It looked fantastic. Like, <laughs> come on, like that's postcard stuff, right? Absolutely. Um, but I, I get how some people may look at, it, oh, jump the shark, all oh, it's played out. Man, when you go live and you talk to the people and you see the kids' faces and the fans' faces and everyone who, you know, who 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 able who are able to make a connection uh with that type of event being outdoors. And by the way, it doesn't it not seem to you that uh, the NHL has sort of come across the idea that this fits better in a in a baseball facility than a football facility mm-hmm. that in a, in a football stadium it, it kind of gets lost because of how big it is yeah i, I think back on the, co- the cotton bowl it was Bingo. just it's huge it was really big versus you know like you said fenway or one of the other baseball yes. stadiums yeah yeah target we'll field even yeah we'll see what happens next year in um in in in, in seattle what that looks like but mm-hmm. the way they tilted the rink and had the green monster as the background and more fans are are closer to the action instead of spread out and, and far away. Um, I think it looks and, and feels a lot better. But I like them, like really, like mm-hmm. I, I I I gotta I gotta tell you, like I'm guilty because I remember when the the first one was talked about. 
remember saying to myself, okay, interesting idea, but let's not burn it out. Let's do it like, treat it like the Olympics and do it one every four years. And after that, you know, after Crosby scored on Ryan Miller, by the end, I was like, they got to do this every year. They really do. Like this, this, this is, this is a home run. I want to see it in different venues. I want to see like, you know, the field of dream style. If they build it, they will, if you build it, they will come like mm. put it in the middle of nowhere and just build an event around it. I know they have a number of different ideas uh, for where to put it and, and, and how to host it. But I'm of the mind that, you know, the more outdoor games, the better. Because there is, I think every market should experience it. Every single market should have a shot at experiencing what a winter classic is is like, or just a stadium series outdoor game is like, because I'll, I'll be blunt, like, it's just really cool. It's just so much fun to be there. Well, before I let you go, I want to talk to you a little bit about your 32 Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman, of course, and what the dynamic is like between the two of you. We've had <laughs> Elliot on the show already previously, uh, yeah. so I'm curious to know what the dynamic is like with you guys. <laughs> uh, we have uh, <laughs> Elliot's a nice bunch of guys. <laughs> Elliot's a nice bunch of guys. Uh, listen, I've known Elliot. My my wife calls him my work husband. Um, <laughs> we spend so much time together, whether it's on radio or pocket. We broke in together, like we started in the industry together back in 1990. Blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> 1995, we started together at the fan in Toronto. Um, he went to Western, I went to Guelph, so immediate rivals there going to university. Mm. But he's, um, I'm going to try to say something real nice about Elliot. Elliot is maybe the most generous, not just broadcaster, but person you will ever meet. Mm. Everything that Elliot does um, is informed by a sense of right and wrong and compassion and understanding. First of all, there's no one better at that insider role than Elliot. And second of all, and just because I've been privy to so much of it, um, I can honestly tell you there is not a more charitable or generous person and he'll never brag about it or talk about it, all the, all the stuff that he's done. And I've seen it firsthand and honestly, Alexis, it'll bring tears to your eyes. Mm. There is, there is no one in this or any other industry that I've met that is as generous or kind than Elliot Friedman. That's awesome. I love to hear How's that. that? It sounds like you He's guys guy. have a strong relationship. <laughs> Screw him. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's, you know what? It's easy. It's like we always say, like we do in the podcast, it beats working for a living. You know, like every two mm-hmm. weeks, a paycheck shows up and someone yells, stop thief. Like really, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun, Alexis. It's a good time. Jeff Merrick, thank you so much for joining us here on Duck Stream. Uh, great to have you and hope to have you back again soon. You call anytime. I'm only too happy to bore your audience. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm looking forward to having Jeff back on at some point again this season. And it's time for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. If you have not caught it already, make sure to listen to a brand new edition of the Players Lounge. That was released today, that being Wednesday. Jamie Drysdale, Cam Fowler, and Adam Henrique were the stars of this one. Sat down with Kent French right here in the Paul Korea studio. It is a very entertaining episode. You won't want to miss it right here on Duck Stream. And thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next time for more hockey talk on Duck Stream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duck Stream.